0: is our prayer this morning truly Lord that your will would be done Father it is You who saves it is you who is our hope mm-hmm. and it is your will Father that we desire to see come to fruition And Lord, this morning, as we get into your word, uh, we just pray that to be true, that your spirit would go out um, into the world, change lives of the people who hear your word. We pray these things in your name. Amen. hill west for those of you don't know uh quick intro my name is matt beachy uh pastoral intern here for mercy hill um i want to just tell you how much of an honor it is to be standing in front of you this morning to bring the word of god to you um yes that's enough of that um But I do want to tell you that this is a privilege and an honor not taken lightly. Um, And so, yeah. Uh, For those of you who don't know, uh, we have been uh, traversing through the book of Romans this year. Uh, This morning has us in the uh, 15th chapter. Uh, We'll be looking at the first 13 verses. Um, Why don't we go ahead and we'll just read those and then... We'll get into it. So starting in verse 1, it says this, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please our neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people exol him. And again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you again so much for your word. Lord, we just pray for this time uh, that you would ultimately be glorified, that you would be exalted. Um, through your word we pray these things in your name amen okay so uh this morning as a way of setup i wanted to talk a little bit about something uh that i unfortunately or fortunately know about is competition and sports specifically um i feel like all of my setups typically come around this but it's what i understand a little bit of so that's what we're going to run with um But in the world of sports, or in the world of competition, what is it all about? I'll tell you, it's all about winning. So what does it take, then, to be a winner? Now, so if we look at sports specifically, or we look at sports, yeah, uh, what does it require for success? Oftentimes it requires a team with good players, or a team with perhaps the most talent, uh, or the best coach, or the best facilities. Yes, we need good players in competition and in sports to be successful, and yes, we need good coaches. But that's not ultimately what makes a team most successful. There are marks of successful teams, and typically one of those main marks is a unified team, a team that is committed to one another, to one goal. Is essentially, it is a team that has a us versus the world mentality. Typically is what makes teams most successful. I take you back to 2002. The uh, Ohio State Buckeyes football team won a national championship. And they, if you remember this, they would come across uh, Miami uh, who had already won the national championship the year before and was coming in heavily favored in 2002. Um, the Buckeyes were led by Craig Krenzel. I don't know if anybody here remembers that, but uh, Craig Krenzel was not at the top of the Heisman list. Um, freshman running back, Maurice Claret, who was a really good running back. But he was often outshadowed by his opponent uh, on Miami's side, um, Willis McGahee. Excuse me, forget that. But ultimately, what makes this team most successful isn't the fact that they were... Um, more talented. What made them most successful was that you had a team who had surrounded each other and was unified in one goal. A team that literally lived and breathed for one another. If you remember, late in that game, uh, in the fourth quarter, excuse me, Craig Krenzel threw a, an interception. and As the defender was running this football back, Maurice Claret, his running back, uh, the defender... Marisha Collette went and grabbed that football straight from that defender and kept the ball with the Buckeyes. I tell you all of this, and I realize this has kind of been a long setup, but I need, you to, make, I need to make it very clear what Paul is talking about today. And that is a unified church ultimately is what he's telling us we need to be. You see, when we have a unified church, a church can truly glorify God. So Paul's going to give us the marks of a church, the mission of a church, and the hope of a church. But know this as we go into it, that unity in the church is an act of mission. Mission leads to glorification of God, which is ultimately our mission. So when we look at the marks of a unified church, excuse me, Paul gives us three main marks. Paul describes what the church ought to look like in these first several verses, giving us three basic signs of a unified church. Verse 1, it says this, We who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak and to not please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. Brothers and sisters, the first mark of a unified church is a church that lives sacrificial lives. As believers, we often forget that we are to help our brothers and our sisters who are not just outwardly in need, but spiritually in need. We are to help our brothers and sisters, and we are to bear the load with them. Oftentimes, when we see our brothers and sisters struggling through something, typically, our reaction is one of two things. Typically, we're grateful that we're not going through it. But more importantly, what we ought to be doing is we ought to be racing towards them to help them. We ought to be there to bear this load. Paul's drawing this picture. It's, we're, to, we're essentially supposed to put this burden of sin that somebody in our church is dealing with we are to help them carry this load. Are we carrying the load, brothers and sisters, of our brothers and sisters in their struggles? Are we bearing the weight of sin that our brothers and sisters are bearing on themselves? If you remember, Christ did this He lived the ultimate sacrifice. Yes? On the cross, he bore the sin, the weight of the sin of the world, onto him. This is a picture of a unified church, a sacrificial people living for one another. Galatians 6 says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so to fulfill the law of Christ. It's not a question of, should I help my brother or sister, or I'm not in the mood, or I'm too tired, or I'm not strong enough. It is an obligation, which means it is a responsibility. If we are going to be unified as a church, we must live sacrificial lives. As, a member, as members of the same body, unified under Christ, when we see our brothers or sisters struggling with sin, let us stop criticizing and start helping one another. So we have the first mark, which is that of a sacrificial people. The second mark is that of a selfless people. Paul quotes Psalm 69, verse 9, and only the second half here. I want to read to you the first half of this verse. It says, for Christ, well, in verse 3 it says this, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. The entire verse in Psalm 69 says this, For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who have reproached you have fallen on me. The psalmist here, so filled with zeal for the house of God that he has taken on the hatred of God by those around him. It is this idea, brothers and sisters, that we live for something greater than ourselves. It is this idea of selflessness. It is this idea that we desire so much to see God glorified. That we give up our own will for the will of God. Regardless of what happens to us no matter what, in the end, if we can live this selfless life, all of this leading to a more um, unified church. Right? These are the marks of that unified church. This selflessness, this zeal for God's glorification leads to His Leads to our unification. Excuse me. If you remember, again, the example of Christ not coming here to please himself, but rather on a mission to save a people to himself. True humility, brothers and sisters, we could call it. If you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Christ was crucified. Do you remember his prayer? We sang it this morning. Father, not my will, but yours be done. It's humility to the point of choosing the father's will over our own. It's a recognition that life is about something bigger than ourselves. Brothers and sisters, is our zeal for the bride of Christ outweigh the zeal of our own will? True humility. C.S. Lewis said it best, I think, when he said, true humility isn't thinking of oneself less, or thinking less of oneself, excuse me, but thinking of oneself less. So a second mark, so we have two marks. We have a sacrificial body, we have a selfless body, and we have now the third mark, a biblically-based body. For whatever was written in former days, it was written for our instructions that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. If we as a church are going to be truly unified and Christ-centered, we must be based in the Bible. We must be rooted in the Word of God if we are going to have zeal for the Word of God and for God's will. If we are going to truly be able to live selfless, sacrificial lives, then we must be individually and corporately rooted in the Word of God. When we read the Word of God, we understand that it gives us hope. We understand that it is given to us, it was given to us, along with the Spirit, for our encouragement and our hope. If we are going to have passion for God's glorification, then we must remain rooted in his word. We must hold a biblical worldview. We cannot allow ourselves to be consumed with how the world views things. Because ultimately, the world is hopeless. There's no hope for the world. The only hope is in Christ. The only encouragement that we can experience truly is from the Spirit and from the Word of God. This is our true and only hope. This is why the book was given to us. From cover to cover, it is about God saving a people for His Son, redeeming an unredeemable people. This is hope. Hope in the promises to come. We see, excuse me, a broken world around us, and we see a hopeless world around us that tells us that we need to have hope in X, Y, and Z, whatever, pick your your poison. Brothers and sisters, our only hope is found in this word. Excuse me. Nothing will bring us hope like the scriptures. So, why labor this point? Why labor this point of unity? It's very simple. That together you may with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's really that simple. We as a church must be united. We must be living these lives that are self-sacrificial, that are humble, that are rooted in the word of God. To unite as one body so that we can with one body give glorification to God in one voice. When we can do this and be unified, he can be exalted. That's why we labor this point of unity. That's why we labor the point of living lives of self-sacrifice and humility. That's why we encourage and implore people to remain in the scriptures so that there's hope, so that he may be glorified. Our unity in Christ brings light into a dark world. The simplest and best illustration to give of all three of these marks sacrificial, selfless, or humble is that of Christ crucified. You have one singular event. That required sacrifice of Christ. The humility for the type of death it was. And then you have the greatest moment of hope. Is when he was resurrected. This is why we must be united. So that he may be ultimately glorified. Jesus prayed in John 17, I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one as we are one. I in them you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you've loved me. My prayer this morning, Mercy Hill, is that we begin to take this seriously. Being unified as a church, it must happen individually before it can be a corporate thing. We must individually remember that the people that we are sitting with right now, our brothers and our sisters in Christ, we need them. We need to bear their sins with them. And then, corporately, we can show a community, a world around us, the glorification of Christ. Are we living with zeal for the bride of Christ to the point of self sacrifice? So, we live lives this way to exemplify what a life of hope looks like. When we do this, it will draw people to Him, and we begin to understand that it's always been about mission. Throughout the course of history, the story of the Bible is how God has been working to prepare a bride for Jesus. So this is the mission of the church. Verse 7 says this, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of, Christ, uh, for the glory of God. Christ, the hope of the Jews and the Gentiles. For I tell you, that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles will hope. Therefore, welcome one another. I think it's important that we notice this, that we take time to understand that Christ welcomed us into salvation with him or into union with him. And that we are called to welcome others as well as he, in the same fashion as he welcomed us. We are to embrace people, new believers. We are to embrace new people as Christ embraced us. If you remember, excuse me, how Christ embraced us. Ephesians 1 says this, that he has blessed us. With every blessing, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. When somebody comes into union with Christ, we ought to be ecstatic. This is a supernatural miracle. When somebody comes to Christ, we ought to engulf them into our community, into our church. Because Christ did this for us. Because Christ, when we stood in opposition to him, dead in our trespasses, welcomed us into union with him. He welcomed us as the father welcomes home the prodigal son, arms wide open, rejoicing in union with him. We need to be a welcoming people. And we will be when we are unified. When we are unified as one, truly living on mission, we can welcome people into our church. Our mission is unity because the results of a unified church is hope for a hopeless world. See Paul is using these Old Testament passages as an example, that it's always been about mission. It's always been about saving a people, not an ethnic people, but a people to Christ. In verse eight, it says that Jesus became a, as Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show. God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Do you know why we have hope for things to come? Because we know that things that have been promised in the past or that were promised in the past all came to fruition. That's why Christ came originally to the circumcised or to the Jewish people because God had made a promise to Abraham, to the patriarchs, that it would be so. We have hope for the future because every promise that God has ever made, whether it was to Abraham, excuse me, Moses, doesn't matter. They all have come true. And we know that they will continue to be held true or they will continue to come true. Every promise he has made. The more unified we are as a church, the more zeal that we will feel for His glorification is when the church is most unified. He is most glorified, and our mission is to glorify Him. So, in uh, again going back to the point of why we can have hope. and what our mission is. When I was in high school, I was not particularly a great student. Luckily though, I had learned that test, not super important for your total grade. Um, more important is making sure your homework's done and doing well on projects. And then you can just like be average at test and you can still meet the requirements, that, or I could at least, meet the requirements that my father would have for me for, in order to play sports. So I'd, I'd learned this. But what I had also done, and I didn't learn this until after, was I would cram for these tests. I wouldn't study like you ought to. I would cram for tests. And then I would do not particularly good on them because there's only a few things that I would remember. And uh, this is what's called the recency effect. I don't know if you've heard of this, but the recency effect essentially is this idea that Sort of the last thing that you hear is going to be, or read or study, it's going to be the first thing and probably the only thing you're going to remember. So I typically, people will save the most important things for last because that's what's going to leave an impression on you. Do you remember what the last thing Christ told his disciples before before he left? Matthew 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And he saw them, and they worshipped him. But some doubted, and Jesus came to them, came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am always with you to the end of ages. What is the mission of the church, brothers and sisters, but to create disciples? Again, Christ is most glorified when we are most unified. How do we be unified but to live this out? But to create disciples. To live self-sacrificial Humble biblical lives with one another, discipling one another, unified, bearing each other's weight with one another, encouraging those who come in, giving each other endurance and encouragement through discipleship. This is how the mission is completed, this is how the gospel is experienced with one another. It's through our relationships with one another that we are encouraging each other. We are giving each other hope because we remain biblically rooted. Let us truly live on mission and create disciples. The Lord has set forth the mission, so let us... Go do it. We must remain faithful to him and the word. And his word, excuse me. And not just pretend it. But truly live sacrificially selfless biblically rooted lives. And the one thing, so like, I don't know, I feel like I'm fairly old. Um, In my... When I was younger, I used to love to argue with people. And because typically I'm usually right, it was mostly just me confirming that somebody else was wrong. Uh, My wife would agree with, would obviously agree with that statement. In my older age, though, I've become, I don't know, probably just too tired to argue with people. It's not particularly worth it. I don't have the energy for it. Um, but I bring this up to you because nothing brothers and sisters tears a church apart like arguing over secondary and tertiary issues Paul warns us of this nothing will tear us apart more quickly than when we squabble or we argue over things that are not that important 2 Timothy says this, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. If you know that that breeds quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. If unification of the body of Christ is our mission through discipleship, then we cannot spend time and energy arguing over things that are not important. So, in a hopeless world, what does a, a church's unity provide? Hope. A unified church provides hope. Romans Uh, in verse 13, excuse me. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This benediction here of this section, Paul reminding us, as we need to be reminded, who we serve. We serve the God of hope. Again, in verse 5, he said the same thing. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in one accord with Christ. We don't have hope because we're told to have hope. We have hope because we know that what the Scripture says is true. We have hope because we have the Spirit That is, the Spirit of Christ is in us. It is in us as believers. This is why we have hope. And it's not just a little bit of hope. It says that you may abound in hope. This word abound, it means more than enough. Right? It's this idea of overflowing with hope. We are to have hope that overflows. First individually, and then corporately, we can, as a church, have an overflowing amount of hope. The Spirit gives us hope. Our scriptures, the Word of God, it gives us hope. Why do we walk around feeling hopeless? Brothers and sisters, it's because we're not living in unity with the people around us. The hope we experience from the Spirit and from the Scriptures should be overflowing. Not just us individually, but us as a church, corporately. If we can have overflowing hope, in a lost world think of the glorification that that brings to the father because this isn't about us this isn't about well i'm going to be hopeful because then people be like, oh wow that guy's super hopeful there must be something different about him no we have abundance of hope because it glorifies god it shows everybody that the spirit of god is within us and that it gives us something to hope for We have hope of the promises to come. Again, in verse 8, I tell you, Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Right? We have hope because the things he said he would do, he has done, which means the things he said he will do will be done. Hebrews 6 says this, We have this as sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner peace, interplaced interplaced behind the curtain. 2 Corinthians 1, He delivered us from such deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope, that He will deliver us again. 1 Thessalonians 5, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet. A helmet, the hope of our salvation. Again, back in Romans 5, he said this Through him we have obtained access by faith into grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Our hope comes from the Spirit that is within us. And when we allow ourselves or we allow that spirit to commune through the scriptures and bring us into a closer union with Christ, we can truly abound in hope. But we need each other, we need one another, we need the people around us, we need the body of Christ. To be unified. It's kind of like this. Um, Does anybody know people who uh, don't, like they say they're going to do something and then they don't do it. And then anytime they say something, you're like, they're like pretty sure like, yeah, we're going to, I'm definitely doing this. And then they don't ever, and we just lose all hope that whatever they say is going to be done. We don't know that like typically they you know, get called liars because they say they're going to do things and they never do it anyhow, right? But we lose all hope in anything that they say is going to be done. Brothers and sisters, this is the opposite of what we have in Christ. It's a simple illustration, but I think it works. Christ has said what would happen. We know it's going to happen because he has confirmed, excuse me, He has fulfilled all of the prophecies that were told in the Old Testament. Our hope now is that what he has said will happen will. We live in a hopeless world that is seeking. Christ is the hope. And by extension, a unified church brings hope into a hopeless world. A church that is living on mission a church that is living lives of discipleship, self-sacrificing our time, our selfless humility, our dedication to one another, for the ultimate glorification of God. We have the promises of eternity spent in love with Christ. The world does not have that when we live unified and we have hope abounding, the Spirit will draw people to itself. We are to then be welcoming. We are to engulf them. I used it earlier, so I'm going to stick with the verb. We are to bring them in welcoming, loving, as to glorify God. It is through discipleship then that we continue to instill hope into one another. Brothers and sisters, let us not get discouraged by the times of the world. Let us be hopeful for the promises of God to come. This life is not uh, an easy one. Jesus said in John 15, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Remember the word I say to you, as a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. This is why we serve a God of encouragement and endurance. Things that require endurance and encouragement are often not easy things. But we serve a God, the God of encouragement, and the God of endurance, and the God of hope. The Lord has given us His Word. He has given us His Spirit within us, brothers and sisters. Our mission is, is to be unified. He has given us each other. He has given us His church to live in unification, to abound in hope, so that He ultimately is glorified. Through self-sacrificing, selfless act, of walking through life with our brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, uh, all of this for his glorification. Uh, worship team, you guys can come up. We're gonna close here. Um, it's really quite simple. Our mission is to create disciples. Creating disciples does many things. Ultimately, it unifies us. It instills hope. And when we have a unified church, we will glorify God. So if You are here today and you feel hopeless or you feel like something is too far gone. I encourage you to reach out. Matt Rao is back there, or any of the elders. Um, We want to help, people want to help, we want to disciple. And so if you want that, please seek it. And if you see somebody struggling, brothers and sisters, please reach out and help them. When you see people who are in our body struggling with hope, or hopelessness, excuse me, please reach out to them. Give them the encouragement, the endurance that required, is required for this life. The unification of the church brings the glorification of the Father. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Again, Lord, we are so grateful for your word. Uh, we are grateful, Father, for one another. Lord, I just pray that as we go from here today if somebody is feeling hopeless Father, I pray that we would be able as a body to recognize and instill we could become unified as a body so that you ultimately are glorified. We pray these things in your name. Let you stand with us, please.